Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Well, we started this look at the songs or the psalms of ascents or degrees last time with Psalm 120. G. Campbell Morgan, a preacher of a previous generation, called Psalm 120 Jehovah the Hope of the Pilgrim. And he called Psalm 121 Jehovah the Help of the Pilgrim. Some have called Psalm 121 the Soldier's Psalm. Most call it a traveler's psalm, but it's best considered simply the Christian's psalm because a soldier's life and a traveler's life both apply to the Christian life as we live our lives as strangers here in reverent fear. The world is not my home. I'm just a passing through as the old song goes. So Psalm 121. You probably memorized the first verse of this psalm out of a certain translation of the Bible and have a certain way of understanding it. But this is actually a verse that has been understood in in quite a number of different ways, depending on Translation, depending on punctuation, which isn't in the original. But all ultimately getting to the same point, just different roads to get there. How should we understand the opening of Psalm 121? I lift up my eyes to the hills. Some have said that that part of the verse is a question in and of itself. Shall I lift up my eyes to the hills? A rhetorical question expecting the answer, no, it's a resolve not to do something. That's not where I'm going to look. I lift up my eyes to the hills, some have said. And for a traveler, those hills were the haunts of of danger, a place of, of danger for travelers, hard paths perhaps on the hills. Steep cliffs, hideouts for thieves and brigands. I lift up my eyes to the hills in trepidation. I lift up my eyes to the hills, some have said, because that's where my rescuers will come from. My fellow soldiers will come alongside me like the cavalry riding in to save the day. 
I lift up my eyes to the hills, others have said, the hills of the promised land, and Mount Zion especially. And then followed not by a question, but a statement, I lift up my eyes to the hills, to Mount Zion, whence comes my aid? That is where my help is from. So a statement. Or, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? I look up and I look around as I search for the help that I know that I need. But even the greatest, highest things or the greatest people are not where my help comes from. Where does my help come from? You know, although some translations have question marks, some don't, many solid theologians suggest some of these ideas, I still think the last suits best. Is the word from where here is most often a question word in the Old Testament. Second Kings 6, sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city, and as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord the king. If anyone can help you, I'm looking up to you. There on the wall, if anyone can help me, it's you, king. The king replied, If the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor, from the wine press. She looked, lifted up her eyes. Where did her help come from? Well, the king answered, if the Lord does not help you. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? This is a a searching question. This is a question of desperation. I need help. But where am I going to find it? And that question, where does my help come from? is answered in seven ways in this psalm. Various ways that the Holy Spirit is repeating and reinforcing to the children of God that there is indeed help for them. It's wonderful to have a helper. We had the wedding on Friday. And at weddings, we often think of the opening chapters of Genesis, Genesis 2.20. And for God, for Adam, God created an azer konegdo, is the Hebrew, a helper suitable to him. Here's Adam. What did he need? Here's the help. A helper suitable. And that's a blessing to have a helper like that. But as much as we can and should help each other, if that's our ultimate hope in that help, we will be disappointed. We will be despairing and discouraged and disillusioned 
especially as we think of the help that we need spiritually for our souls. If we look to anything or anyone else, ultimately we'll be damned. If there is no higher help, no greater help than human help. So Psalm 121, in seven ways, the help that you need and the help that you have through faith in Jesus Christ is described. And this is so encouraging just to think through the way that God himself has answered the psalmist's question, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Well, listen, people of God, this is the help, and this is the kind of help that it is. First, it is divine help. Divine help. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. This is such a personal declaration, isn't it? Not just help or somehow my help. Martin Luther said that Christianity was a religion revolving around personal pronouns. My. My help. It's so personal. He's so convinced. This is my help. And the help is from the Lord. That's God's covenant name. We just read from Exodus 6. And over and over again, God says, this is my name. I am that I am. He is the one that is coming to your aid. He is the one that will help the people of God and help Moses as their deliverer. My help comes from the Lord. It is divine help. It is triune help. It is help coming from the covenant God, Yahweh. The Geneva Bible, in its footnote on this verse, says there is nothing so high in this world wherein the psalmist can trust, but only in God. Only in God. Jeremiah 3.23, truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills. And from the multitude of mountains, doesn't that just fit in exactly with Psalm 121, verse 1? Truly, it goes on to say, in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Don't put your hope in great things or great people of this world. We can fall into that. Our hope is not in Justin Trudeau. But it's not in Pierre Polyev either. That's not where your help comes from. We need to pray. Municipal election this week. Federal election whenever it's going to come. We need to pray for good and godly rulers that God would have mercy on us in judgment. But that's not where our help comes from. Christians throughout the history of the world have been able to thrive under any and every political system because their help is from above. 
Their help is from the eternal, unchangeable God. My help comes from the Lord. Oh, that cry is so often found on our lips for all kinds of reasons. Help me. Help me. Teachers hear it. Lifeguards at the beach hear it. Doctors hear it. Financial, financial counselors hear it. Police officers hear it. Help me, help me, help me. But the greatest danger in life is our own sin. You know, this psalm mentions hills and mountains, and I couldn't help but think of Revelation 6. They call to the mountains and to the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Beloved, it's until we see that danger, the danger of being a sinner before the face of a holy God, it's until we see that danger, and unless we see that danger, we will be content with lesser help. We will confide or trust in lesser help. Or we might just be too proud and refuse any help. How often that's the case. I'm okay. I got this covered. Oh, and there in Revelation 6, isn't it something? The wrath of the Lamb. Have you ever looked at a lamb and thought, what a wrathful beast? This is the Lamb of God. This is Jesus. And because God raised him from the dead, all judgment has been given to him. And do you see then the only help from his wrath is him? The only help in his judgment is his blood. He's both the greatest danger and the greatest help in the same person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, and if Jesus is your help, you're helped indeed. His saving help is surely near to all who worship him in fear. God may use people to help us in all kinds of ways, and he does. God may use means, even the means of grace, as a help in our life. But without his help, without the help of his spirit, none of these means could be of any real or lasting help not even the means of grace that he has ordained for us. The preaching of his word is to be a help to God's people, but unless the Spirit gives you ears to hear, it will be no help. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, without the working of the Spirit helping you in your life, of no help. No help. I lift up my eyes beyond the things of this world, above the people of this world, not despising 
their help, but not trusting ultimately in it. We look beyond the means of grace to the God of grace. Without God's blessing, without God's help, all these things are helpless. Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Second Chronicles 14. Zerah the Cushite marched out against them with an army of thousands upon thousands and 300 chariots. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you and in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. You think of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. How did he do it? How did he endure through all that he faced? Well, he tells us, Acts 26, 22, therefore, having obtained help from God, divine help. Psalm 54, 4, surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Do not fear, God says in Isaiah 41, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Our help is divine help. Six more, but more briefly. This is almighty help. It is almighty help. My help comes from the Lord. And what next? With your Bibles open. The maker of heaven and earth. Do you see why that is such a great statement there at that place in the word of God? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The James Webb telescope has been sending back pictures just this past week of uh, uh, an amazing sight, uh, this gas, this dust, I don't know what it is exactly, but I caught my eye because of what it's called. Maybe you saw the pictures. The pillars of creation. The pillar, some kind of astronomical phenomenon called the pillars of creation. Because out of them, stars are spawned or something. Like They're, they're seeing things happen there. It's beautiful. It's, it's immensely beautiful. But it's not creating, it's not creating stars in the biblical sense. It may be producing them, but it's not creating them in the beginning God. He alone is the creator. What can God do, children? What did God do in Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All things out of nothing in the space of six days and all very good. What's the point? Nothing is too hard for him. He has almighty power. Hurricanes, we have seen in the last number of weeks, are powerful. 
But God is all-powerful. People, and even Satan, may be mighty, but God is almighty. We have almighty help. Third, we have secure help. Secure help. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. Now, did you notice here just as well, when we come to verse 3, there is a change from first person to second person, or third person, I mean. I lift up my eyes to the hills, or second person. But then it says, verse 3, he will not let your foot slip. So there's a change in the way that the words are being spoken from first person to second person. My help, your foot. And people have wondered about that. Maybe the psalmist here has just begun in a way to speak to himself, which is not uncommon biblically. Why are you so cast down, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And so he may be speaking to himself. My help comes from the Lord. He will not let your foot slip. As he speaks to himself, I may very well be. It may be the preacher here, the psalmist as a preacher, now going from personal conviction, people should, preachers should preach to themselves first. My help comes from the Lord. He will not let your foot be slipped. So maybe it's a preacher having preached to himself, now preaching to others. But either way, this is secure help. He will not let your foot slip. Uh, We know the danger of having your foot slip. That's why the Roman army was so successful, because it had good footwear. They could march and be strong in battle and march for miles. Soccer cleats help you so that your foot doesn't slip. If you're mountaineering, you have crampons that will help you so that your foot will not slip. But Psalm 121 is not talking about mountaineering or soccer. This is spiritual. These are spiritual feet, and they need spiritual help. We all stumble in many ways, James 3 says. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. But God says, or the psalmist says, he will not let your foot slip. We do stumble. But God will never fully or finally let the feet of his people slip and fall away. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We stand through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in the grace of God. He is the God we read of in Jude 24, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, ultimately, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Every Christian in glory will look back and will be able to say, he did not let my foot slip because here I am standing before the throne of God. We stand on Christ. That's why our foot doesn't slip. 
I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. This is secure help. Fourthly, it's constant help. Constant help. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. When I'm sleepy or completely asleep, I'm not much help. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. If you've ever served in the military, I think one of, one of the worst things that you can do from your commanders and from your fellow soldiers is to fall asleep on watch. I don't think that is seen in a very good light ever. He who watches over you will not slumber. In verse 4, the Hebrew is the word here for guard. He who guards you. Think of the soldier again. He who guards you will not slumber. That word guard is used five times in this psalm. To guard, to watch, to keep. So that's what God is saying. He has constant help. He says, I will guard you, guard you, guard you, guard you, guard you. Five times. He will neither slumber nor sleep. The pagan gods, the gods made up by people, slept. It's what they thought they did at times. Remember, Elijah taunted the prophets Baal. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and needs to be awakened. But our God neither slumbers nor sleeps. It's from the greater to the lesser. He doesn't slumber and he doesn't even sleep. Why do you complain then, Jacob? Why do you say, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. This is constant help. And fifthly, it's protecting help. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. God is a protecting shade to his people, a shadow, a place of protection. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty, it says in Psalm 91. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, said Jesus, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you are not willing, the shadow, the shade of her wings. So that the sun will not harm you by day, neither the moon 
by night. Some people have said it's easy to understand how the sun could harm you by day, but it's a little more difficult to think about the moon harming anybody. Some commentators go off and and think about some theories of things. The word lunacy or lunatic in the English language comes from the word for moon, la lune, so that some weird things happen to people with the moon. But I think it's just very simple here. A traveler or soldier in the Middle East needs no explanation of these words. These are twin troubles, the heat and the cold. Sunstroke or dehydration by day, and because it's so clear, exposure and hypothermia by night. It it can be a 100 degrees during the day, and you can be exposed to hypothermia at night in these desert places. Both in the same day. No, this is a way of saying constant protection, day or night. We'd say 24-7, 24-7. And he is the shade at your right hand. That is the place of activity in all we do. But it's also biblically the place of attack or accusation. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Lest let an accuser stand at his right hand. Psalm 109, verse 6. But God stands at the right hand of the needy to save their lives from those who would condemn them. He's our constant help. He's our preserving help, sixthly. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. He will guard you, literally, from all evil. Now, we can read that easily and say it. Do you believe that? He will guard you from all evil. Is that too much to say? Is the psalmist here again, like we thought this morning, just uttering a pious platitude? God will protect you from all evil. Psalm 91, if you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. Is that true? I think we have to really think about this and deal with it, honestly and frankly, because all kinds of quote-unquote evils befall believers. Would would anyone just quickly say, no evil has ever befallen me? Not when we think about our lives, the lives of other Christians... We are not exempt from trouble. That's not what it's saying. In fact, being a Christian means more trouble for you in this world. We must, through many hardships, tribulations, enter the kingdom of God, Acts 14.22. We have to take a step back here and climb higher to see the point. There are evil things that happen to Christians, but evil will not ultimately win out. The devil hopes in evil to destroy God's work and God's people. The cross of Jesus had much of human and demonic evil in it. But ultimately, it was Christ's victory. One of my teachers 
John Gerstner used to say, there is no such thing as evil, evil. What was he saying? There is no such thing as evil that succeeds for the people of God. Evil that wins the day. Evil that has the last word. There is no such thing as evil, evil. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Again, we're not pretending that there aren't those hard things, I mean evil things, but God works them for good so that in the grandest scheme of things, the Lord keeps us from all harm, all ultimate, eternal harm. In heaven, we will say, no real ultimate evil befell me. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desire of their foes. Psalm 41. He will guard your soul. You will be saved. And even your body will not suffer final evil, but will be raised in glory like his glorious body. And last, our help is eternal help. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if for this, only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The Lord watches over your coming and going both now and forevermore, it says in the NIV. Coming and going, it's all of life. Some have put it at home or abroad. At home or abroad. Well, this life is always, in one sense, abroad for the Christian. For the gospel traveler. In this life, we're always abroad. You know, P.E. Islanders, Prince Edward Islanders, they, they call us, we're people from away. But in this life, Christians are from away. We're citizens of heaven. Before entering the promised land, Moses said, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them. One who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Who is the one that watches over your coming and going? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore, but unhelpfully, the New International Version reverses the order of the Hebrew here. The Hebrew says, the Lord will watch over your going out and your coming in. It ends with coming in. In a sense, we go out of this world when we die. But that is really a coming in, isn't it? It's a coming in to the place prepared by Christ for us, 
fatherly mansions in the, into the, coming into the nearer presence of God, coming into the congregation of the church triumphant. The Christian life always ends with a great coming in, coming in, coming in. He will guard both now and forevermore. There is no end to the Lord's help. Seven ways. When we say, where does my help come from? Seven ways that we see my help is from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. 